Now we're going to begin worship singing in Psalm 108, 108, that's on page 146, and the tune is Stuttgart, singing verses 1 to 7. We'll sing to the uh, double verse 7, down to I will measure with my hand. O Lord God, my heart is steadfast, and with all my soul I'll sing, harp and lyre I will awaken, and my song the dawn will bring. These verses to the end of verse 7, and if you can stand, please stand to sing. Now let's pray together. We're praying especially for the young ones, for the uh, tweenies, and for the Sunday school particularly. Lord our God, we thank you for these reminders and your word that we are here to glorify your name, to sing praises to you, to call upon your name, to read your word and to hear its meaning. We thank you today, O Lord, that we have this privilege, this opportunity given to us once again we thank you for the freedom that we have to gather here to worship you together this morning. 
Bless us, we pray, each one of us. Bless us together as a congregation. We pray today for our young ones. We ask, Lord, that you would bless them. Bless them as they receive the teaching of your word from week to week and day to day. Uh, bless them here today and bless them in their own families and in the various ways in which they receive the teaching that is necessary for them uh, to grow morally and spiritually in a way that is appropriate and pleasing to you. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would protect them, that you would shield them with your own power, with your own guidance and strength from the many things that are in the world that would seek to draw them away from God and from his word. We ask that you would graciously, Lord, hear us as we pray for them. And in all of these things we pray that they will grow up to be a people who will glorify your name and publicly, publicly proclaim you as their Lord and their God. Hear us now, we pray, and pardon our sin for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, yesterday was called April Fool's Day. I don't know where April Fool's Day came from, how the practice actually started. I tried to look it up, as I do usually on Google for these sort of things. Uh, but, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, origin, where it started, is really unclear. So we don't know where April Fool's Day really came from, from the practice. But April Fool's Day is a time when uh, people try to have some pranks or jokes uh, against others, hopefully good ones, hopefully ones that are not harmful. But April Fool's Day has been about that down through the years. Now, the word fool in the Bible is actually used over 80 times throughout the Bible. Many of them are in the book of Psalms, and especially in the book of Proverbs, which is a book to do with wisdom and learning wisdom and the importance of wisdom. And the way the Bible uses the word fool is not so much stupidity as such. It's actually to do more with not having wisdom or not wanting the wisdom that God himself wants to give us and gives us in his word. And I've got three uh, places in the Bible where the word fool is used. And I want you to try and remember these because they're very simple verses, but they're very important. And you can find many others as well. First of all, in Psalms 14 and 53, if you look at the first verse of each of these Psalms, you'll find them exactly the same, which says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So there is God telling us that people who actually say there is no God, God does not exist. The Bible says they lack wisdom. They have that foolishness that just wants to ignore God, ignore his word, and therefore live without the advantage of that teaching. So remember, uh, whenever you hear somebody saying, God does not exist, I don't believe in God, I don't believe he exists, well, go to the Bible, see what God thinks of that, pray for them, but remember, God is saying, that's foolishness. That's lack of wisdom. That's really closing your mind to the things that are really important. That's the first, uh, first um, place in the Bible, Psalms 14 and 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Secondly, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, 
but only in expressing his opinion. You come across people like that, don't you, in life? All they want to do is tell you what they think themselves and insist that what they think themselves must be right. And they're closed, their minds, their ears to every other opinion. Even if you keep talking to them and try and get them off that track, all they'll do is just come back with the same stuff. Well, the Bible calls that foolishness. It takes no pleasure in understanding. One of the things that is really important for us, whether we're young ones or older ones, is that we try and always add to our understanding, that we give our minds, especially to the things the Bible teaches us, so that our understanding grows, our understanding about God, understanding about why things are as they are in the world, understanding about ourselves, understanding about Jesus, why Jesus came, what Jesus did, where Jesus is now. Understanding these things is so important. That's why the Bible is saying a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And one of the important things there is that we learn to listen, not just to talk all the time, expressing our own opinion and our own view of things. That's what foolishness does. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding. So that's two. The third one is in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Here's a story about somebody who was rich, somebody who actually had a lot of ground, and that ground produced a lot more and kept on producing. What did he say to himself? He said, I'll build bigger barns. I'll store all this stuff, and I'll say to my soul, relax. You've got all this laid up for many years. Just take your time. Enjoy life. And God said to him, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You see, when God calls anybody a fool, we should really listen to what that is saying, because here is God saying to us, life is not about how many things we possess, life is not about just relaxing and taking it easy. Life is about preparing for eternity, for the future, and especially for the time that we leave this world and need to go to eternity. God said to him, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. That man was going to die that very night, and he wasn't ready to die. He was just looking at the things he had all around him, and God said, you're a fool. Think of the things that you've laid up. Who is going to possess them? So these are three places in the Bible. See if you can find other places. You can ask your teachers or leaders other places in the Bible where the word fool is used, and you'll find that it's mostly along the same lines as these three verses. So let's now say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now our next psalm of praise, Psalm 67. Psalm 67 in the Scottish Psalter. That's on page 300. Uh, and that's the first version of the psalm. Lord, bless and pity us. Shine on us with thy face. 
that the earth thy way and nations all may know thy saving grace. So all the psalms we're singing today have to do with the gospel going out throughout the world or God's call to the whole world to come and put their trust in him. Uh, so Psalm 67 is, is the same. The earth her fruit shall yield, our God shall blessing send, God shall us bless, men shall him fear unto earth's utmost end. Psalm 67, the tune this time is Selma, Lord bless and pity us. Now, a reading from God's Word today is from Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 15, and uh, reading the verses 1 to 13. So, Romans chapter 15, and from the beginning. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. May God bless a reading of that portion of his word. Let's call upon him again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we give thanks for the hope that you have brought into being through your resurrection from the dead. We bless you today that that is the foundation of your people's hope. For you tell us in your word and our own experience tells us that the things of this world cannot be foundational to a proper and lasting hope a hope that will be fulfilled ultimately in heaven. O Lord, our God, we thank you today for the reality of those things for which we give you praise. We thank you that they are as real to your people as anything that they can see physically in this life. And we bless you, Lord, that you have provided them for us in your own salvation uh, so that we might live as your people, uh, so that we might uh, not only praise you ourselves, but that we might uh, promote your great name, and that we might seek that the gospel would reach forth into the world with this great message of hope. And we thank you today that the gospel is being sounded forth. But we pray that it may increase more and more, O Lord, so that many will come even today to hear, for the first time and especially to hear savingly, of the hope of, of uh, eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, today that he came into this world specifically to die and to rise again from the dead three days later. And we give thanks that he is now at the right hand of glory, that he ministers to his people through his Spirit. And Lord, we ask that today we may know of that benefit of that ministry for ourselves. Bless us here today as a congregation, we pray. Bless all those who are with us are visiting at this time, be pleased to bless them in their time with us and with their families. Bless all those who are away from us as well at this time. Be pleased, O Lord, uh, to be with them and to accompany them in their time of holiday. Be with our children as they take a break from school and with our teachers too as they look forward to time off. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would refresh them, that you would further encourage them and give them, Lord, more and more to know of the faithfulness of God himself, uh, who is true to all his promises and who will never let his people uh, other than have his, have his promises fulfilled for them. We ask, Lord, today that you'd bless us as a congregation. We pray your blessing for all age groups that we represent as a congregation. And we ask that in all our variety of need, Lord, that you would be pleased to provide us with your blessing Lord, we need your blessing for every step of life. We need your blessing even from the youngest days through to our old age. We thank you that your blessing is 
assured and brought to us in your word as that which is guaranteed to all those who place their trust in you. We ask, O Lord, that as we have been reading and as we're thinking today of the gospel going forth into the world, that the nations may come under the rule of Christ. We pray that your kingdom will indeed come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask that you would enable us to continue to pray in that regard and not to lose heart or be discouraged as we find, Lord, so much around us that is opposed to you, so much that is closed to the demands of God, to the rights and the claims of Christ himself as Lord. Uh, We pray, O Lord, that you would continue to encourage your people to reach forth and to continue to pray for the turning around of uh, the world in which we live. And we ask today, O Lord, that you would grant blessing to us as a nation. We pray that in these uh, challenging times that you would bless those who govern us. For you have required of us, Lord, that we constantly bear in mind and pray for those who rule over us. And we do pray for them, Lord, today, whatever our political persuasions may be, you have called upon us to pray for those in authority, that we may live peaceable lives, that we may have uh, the uh, gospel uh, advantageously given uh, that place in our, mind, in our minds and in our lives. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would bless, therefore, uh, those who are in government over us in Scotland and in Westminster. We pray for them. We pray for our First Minister. We pray for our Prime Minister. We ask that you bless their cabinets. We pray that, Lord, you would give them that wisdom to look to you and to look to your word, to regard the things of God as of utmost importance, to give place to your laws and your precepts. Gracious Lord, we long for the day uh, when we will find uh, righteousness uh, marking us and exalting us again as a people. We pray that that may be our great concern as your people that we will see righteousness restored in our midst as a nation, and that truth will no longer be fallen in the streets. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, give those who rule over us a regard for truth, not their own version of the truth, uh, not their own political party's version of the truth, but the truth of your word, the truth of the gospel, the truth of your laws, the truth of those things that are firm and sure and that are given to us as a people for our betterment and for our, uh, our wholeness and the things of life. We pray your blessing today for those who are uh, today grieving, who miss loved ones, for whom the reality of death is a present uh, experience in their families. Bless them, we pray. And we ask that your blessing will be with all those who uh, look upon times gone by as times of, of sorrow and bereavement and loss. O oh Lord, today we pray that you would again enable them to know your encouragement, to know the direction and the comfort of your word, and to realize, O God, again, that you are at all times faithful and worthy to be trusted in. Remember those of our number who are in hospital at this time, who are ill in care homes or at home. We pray for them, O Lord. We ask that you be pleased to bless them. We think especially, O Lord, and Uh, these days of the Graham family, William and Morag, and William's time in hospital. Uh, We pray for him, for his recovery. Pray for Morag as she supports him and for the family. We ask, O Lord, that you'd bless them in the days to come. Be pleased to hear all those who are praying for them. We ask, too, that you'd bless those, O Lord, of the congregation who have 
uh, bad news in recent times, who have difficult challenges now to face in regard to their health. We pray uh, that you would bless them and encourage them too. And we do ask, O oh Lord, that you would uh, graciously help us all whenever the turnings of life are difficult and challenging for us. Help us to turn to you. Help us to turn to your cross, to your death, to your resurrection, to your person. Help us to draw all our encouragement from the Christ who knows us, who knows our position so well, who is able to give us support in all our circumstances. So help us, Lord, we pray, to take all our concerns to your throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We ask, O oh Lord, now that you would continue to bless us here, and we pray that uh, as we turn to your word once again, uh, so we may know the guidance, the instruction of your Spirit coming to lay your word upon our hearts, giving us to, be, to rejoice and to be glad that you are God and to take us as your people. Hear us, we pray, pardoning our sin, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's sing once again before we turn to God's Word. Uh, we're singing us in, uh, this time, Psalm 86. Psalm 86 in the Scottish Psalter, page 341, verses 6 to 11, and the tune is Ayrshire. Hear, Lord, my prayer, and to the voice of my request attend. In troublous times I'll call on thee, for thou wilt answer send. Lord, there is none among the gods that may with thee compare, and like the works which thou hast done, not any work is there. Psalm 86, verses 6 to 11, to God's praise.
Now please turn with me to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms and Psalm 117. Psalm 117 in the book of Psalms, praise the Lord all nations, extol him all peoples, for great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Well, you'll be aware, I'm sure, that this is the shortest psalm in length in the whole of the Psalter. But while it is the shortest psalm in length, it is one of the broadest in width because it encompasses all the nations in the call that goes out from it to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord all nations, extol him, all peoples. And that has a significance for ourselves that goes on in its uh, significance and importance because it's not just a call to all the nations. As we'll see, it's uh, a call that goes out from God uh, to incorporate ourselves in the praising of God as well as to have that actually go out to the nations. And we can think of these things as we sing this short psalm. It's important always to think through the things that we're singing, even if we're very familiar with them. And of course, being very familiar with the psalms as we are, the danger with that is that we'll sing just like a kind of rote or parrot fashion. We know the words, we sing them through, and they slip out of our minds without really thinking deeply of what they mean. And it's so important for us that whenever we sing praise to God that we're thinking deeply of the words we're singing, of the meaning they carry, and of how we apply that to ourselves. This psalm is used, as we saw when we read through Romans 15 earlier, the psalm is used there, and is used there in regard to all the nations coming to share in the Old Testament promises to God's people. So there's no longer the Jewish people it has now come to incorporate the Gentiles, which we are, most of us were and are, other than Jewish people, but now all peoples are being incorporated into the church of God to sing his praises, to know his salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's fitting, I think, as we uh, today think of Muriel, our own Muriel, who is here for uh, only today is her, her last Sunday with us, and we're going to finish our service today, a prayer specifically for Muriel as she returns to Cambodia. Um, and this psalm is a psalm that Muriel knows very well, of course, because she is one of those people who puts it into action in terms of carrying the gospel and the teaching of the gospel through to other nations as well, uh, such as in Cambodia, where she shortly will be going back to. So let's look at this psalm very briefly. Here's a single directive and, uh, two, and also two reasons, a single directive or call to all people to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. It's leaving nobody out. It's not leaving any nation out, any people of any background. That's the first thing. There's a single call or directive to all peoples to praise God. Secondly, it gives us two reasons why the Lord's people especially should praise him. Because here are the people of Israel, the Lord's covenant people, and the 
Verse, verse 2, you find the two reasons he gives for praising him. First of all, great is his steadfast love towards us. And secondly, the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. In other words, these are two primary topics in the reasons why we are called to praise the Lord. We are called to praise the Lord because of his steadfast love to his people and because he is always continually faithful towards us. Well, look first of all at this uh, call or this directive to all people to praise the Lord. Now, that, of course, anticipates the, the New Testament itself, the call that goes out from the New Testament. For example, Acts chapter 17. Um, you'll recall that that's the, the, chapter, the great chapter of uh, Paul in Athens and Paul addressing the heathen pagan people of Athens, bringing them the message of the gospel and wonderfully working that through into how he addresses them. But in verse 30 of, of Acts chapter uh, 17, you find the apostle saying um, that uh, we must not think that uh, the Lord is like gold or silver and stone uh, formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, the, the resurrection of Jesus is fitted in exactly and foundationally to the call of the gospel to go out to all the nations in order to come and place their trust and their confidence in this Christ to repent of sin and to turn to him believingly. The Old Testament in the likes of Psalm 117 has become, if you like, embodied in the person of Christ as the, the basis of this great call of the gospel to come repent of our sin and turn to the Lord and praise the Lord. In other words, Paul is incorporating Psalm 117 not just to actually give us a uh, a reminder that the gospel must go forth to all the Gentiles, as well as having come to the Jews already. It incorporates a mandate for our evangelism. Psalm 117 is magnificently evangelistic, because there you have an Old Testament passage into which you find Jesus placed by the apostle in the likes of the chapter we read in Romans 15. But that comes home to ourselves because, as we'll see, the reasons why we have to call upon all people to praise the Lord, it's all to do with Christ. He has raised him from the dead. This Jesus who died on the cross. And this is the mandate we have to go forth with the gospel to call upon all people to come and place their trust, their confidence in God. Now, I know what you're saying. You're immediately saying, um, well, when you go out with that gospel, you meet with this kind of opposition, this kind of response. Why should I trust in your God? Why should your God be better than any other God? Why should it not be uh, the God Muslims believe in? Why should it not be Buddhism? Why should it not be atheism? Well, we... As a people, as a Christian people, believe in freedom of religion. We believe that people, as they choose whichever God or, or no God at all to, to believe in or to trust in, that's a freedom given them in the way that we, as a, as a nation, uh, have freedom of religion as an important concept. We are not in the business of 
forcing people to believe what we believe, what we would want them to believe. Nevertheless, that means that does not mean that freedom of religion does not mean in our multi-faith setting that we ought not to evangelize, that it's actually wrong in some way or other to try and get people of other religions or no religion at all to come and place their trust in Jesus Christ. We believe He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. And because that is the case, we have that mandate to go forth and to evangelize and to actually call upon the world to come and place their trust and their confidence in this God, in this Jesus, in this Savior. You know, and that's where we come across the idea that's very current at the moment, uh, which is called conversion therapy. And you'll find a clamor for the introduction of laws which would ban so-called conversion therapy. Now, that gives the impression that when we're thinking of conversion as Christians, we're thinking of forcing people into believing what we believe. I was across at the Nicholson a couple of weeks ago there, and one of the questions, there were very many questions the class was asking. I was talking about what it is to be a Christian minister, what does a minister do? And amongst the many, many good questions that the pupils had, uh, one was this. Would you force an atheist to believe what you believe? And of course, my response to that was, no, we don't force anyone to believe, whether they're atheists or otherwise, we don't force anybody to believe what we believe. We don't force anybody to believe in Christ in fact, we couldn't anyway, and if we tried to do it, it would just be damaging. You remember your catechism, children maybe, your catechism, uh, cha uh, catechism 31, what is effectual calling? That's one of the ones I dreaded being asked to repeat in Sunday school because it's the longest, I think, in the whole of the catechism. And especially when you were learning it in Gaelic, it wasn't easy to remember it. Nevertheless, it was so useful to remember it because effectual calling is as the work of God's Spirit. And then it goes on to tell us what's involved in effectual calling. That's God calling us and uniting us to Jesus for our salvation. And what the Spirit of God does in our hearts when He does that, when we are effectually called, is He convinces us of our sin and misery. He instructs or enlightens our mind in the knowledge of Christ, and He renews our will. Three things. Three things, the threefold uh, elements of our effectual calling. But the third one is what's important for us just now. When we're saying we don't force people or try to force people into being Christians, into believing what we believe, God, when He comes to actually bring us to know Himself, He doesn't force our minds, He renews our minds. And your mind is never as free as it is when God sets it free. And don't listen to the things that you find out in the world there that says, actually, you Christians are the ones with the closed minds. You're not prepared to listen to other alternatives. Yes, we've tried all the alternatives. We know what the alternatives are. They're not the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus is. The Lord is. His death is, His resurrection is, His return to judge the world is part of all that we come to believe in. How do we come to believe in it? Not because somebody forces our minds, but because God renews our mind. He opens our mind. He gives us a mind that we didn't have before. And when you come 
to have your mind renewed by the Holy Spirit. What does the Catechism go on to say? Thereby he persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ as he is offered in the gospel. It's not my business today to try and force anybody here to become a Christian, to actually be converted, to come to believe in Christ. My business is to preach the gospel that says, here is God's call to come to trust in Jesus. Here is God's provision in the cross and in the resurrection of Christ. Trust in him. Place your faith in him. Whether you do that or not is your responsibility. I can't force you, nor would I want to force you. But I can try to persuasively present Christ to you and your need of Christ and all that is in Christ that you have to do without when you don't accept him, when you don't present, when you don't have, as he presents himself to you, when you don't receive him and trust in him. So we're not in the business of forcing minds. And that's an important matter in the current day and age in which we live. Now, this psalm is really saying to us, actually, that God's kingship extends over the whole of creation. Now, it doesn't matter whether you or I or hundreds or millions of people would come to actually not acknowledge that. When we'd come and say, well, I don't believe in that, I don't want that. Well, that's fine. It doesn't actually do anything to displace this truth. This still remains true, however many people choose not to believe it. God is still the king. God still reigns. You and I are still answerable to God, whether people choose to believe otherwise, or you and I choose to believe it or not. Praise the Lord, all peoples. He has a universal right to be praised. And that means praised by you and by me individually as well. How can it possibly be cruel or intolerable to present a God who is essentially good who calls us to eternal life, who calls upon us to leave our ways of sin and enter the ways of righteousness, how can that be cruelty? You know, the cruelty would be if I stood in a pulpit today and said, there are big chunks of the Bible you don't need to believe anymore. That's cruelty. That's intolerable. That's just providing people with a cushion on which they can sleep all the way through life and then wake up to the reality in eternity in hell. Praise the Lord, all you nations. God's rights extend over all human life, over all human beings. And what we have to constantly remember, of course, is that there is no greater privilege given to us and to know God, and to praise God. It's such an immense privilege. We can't possibly take it in in our own puny minds, but it is such an immense privilege that God brings us to know himself and to know why he is worthy of our praise. And that takes us to our second point. There are two reasons why the Lord's people should praise him. First of all, for his steadfast love, 
the greatest is steadfast love toward us. Now, you know that the steadfast love of the Lord often mentioned in the Old Testament. This is an important word. It's a, it's a covenant word. It's a word that means love, but love that's steadfast, or in the old word, uh, which I think is also good, the, the old uh, AV word is loving kindness. It's not just love in the sense of something that goes out without really affecting your life much. It's loving kindness. It's actually bringing you things which are beneficial, which will actually be good for you. That's what the love of the Lord does. That's what the love of, God, of the Lord is. It is loving kindness. It is doing good. It is providing life. It is rescuing from death. The steadfast love of the Lord toward us is the first point why he calls upon us to praise him. It's the foundation of a covenant relationship with himself, where God comes to take us as his people and we take him as our God. That's what uh, the essence, the core of, of, of the covenant is that God's people have with him. He is their God and will be their God. They are his people and will be his people. You know, the word great here um, is more than just to do with size. The word in Hebrew that's used here um, is the root of a word that's used in the Old Testament for warrior, for somebody as great in might as a warrior. And what it means really is to prevail. Uh, It's used, uh, Psalm 65, verse 3, for example, our iniquities prevail against us, but as for our transgressions you will atone for him. In other words, that's just saying the power of sin is great. It has us in its grip. But Lord, you are the one who prevails over that. While sin prevails against us, you outdo that in providing atonement for us. So this really is saying to us, the steadfast love of the Lord is great. It prevails. It conquers. What a wonderful emphasis that is for you today. When you know the Lord as your Savior and as your God, you're placing your trust in someone who has such a love, such a commitment in love, such a covenant love, as is mighty love. A love that can't possibly go wrong. A love that will achieve its objective, come what may. And where has that been shown to us most clearly? Well, it's in the death and resurrection of Jesus, isn't it? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. God has demonstrated his love to us, Paul says to the Romans, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who died for us? Christ died for us. Who is Christ? The Son of God. Does anyone doubt the love of God? Does anyone doubt the power of God's love? Does anyone doubt the mightiness, the almightiness of the steadfast love of the Lord? When you look at the cross and you say, not just that's love, but that's powerful love. That's love that conquers death. That's love that deals with sin. That's love that brings us righteousness. That love that atones for sin. That's the love that rescues. 
from the grip of death. Praise the Lord, all you peoples. Why? Because his, his steadfast love toward us is great. The steadfast love of the Lord. Where are you today with regard to your relationship to this truth or to this God? Do you know the steadfast love for yourself? Are you trusting in a love that's somehow less than this love? A love that can never achieve what this love has achieved for God's people. His steadfast love toward us is great. And you know, when, when I think of my own love, when you think of your own love, and when you think of how easily it's deflected, how often it fails, how often it wanes, how often it may grow cold, how often it fluctuates. What a huge advantage you have as a Christian to know that your life is founded on and fed by God's steadfast love, a love that does not change, a love that will be the same for all eternity. Praise the Lord. Why? For his steadfast love, his powerful love, his great love is great, it's powerful, it's mighty toward us. And then his faithfulness endures forever. And that, of course, is tied up with his love being steadfast. The faithfulness of God and the love of God are aspects as we experience God as our Savior, aspects of the same grace of God. Grace that flows from his love, the grace, the kindness, and also the faithfulness of God here as well. Remember in Hebrews um, chapter 10, verse 23, uh, you have uh, an emphasis there on, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And sometimes you find these words are so challenging because you say, well, that must leave me out because I often waver in my hope I don't have that same steady hope uh, in, in God and in his promises that I ought to have. How can, how can I actually meet the terms of that verse that says, let us uh, not waver in hope? Well, the verse finishes, for he is faithful who has promised. Your continuance in hope living a hopeful life by faith in Christ. It's not based on the strength of your hope. Your hope is not based on itself. It's not based on your faithfulness. It's not based on the quality of your prayer life. It's not based on the quality of the congregation you belong to. Your hope is based on this, the faithfulness of God. Let us hold fast, he says, to the profession of our hope, the confession of our hope, because he is faithful. And you can depend on that faithfulness. You can depend on that absolutely and entirely throughout life. He is faithful who has promised. He says here, the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. There's one great passage in, in the Bible that I think is... Uh, a really tremendous passage in the context, and it's in the uh, Lamentations of Jeremiah. It's not a book, perhaps, that we very often refer to, 
or preach from, but in chapter 3 of Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah had faced the greatest disaster of his life, uh, the, uh, the arrival of the Babylonians who wrecked Jerusalem, wrecked the temple, took people captive, plundered it, absolutely devastated, vandalized it. And here he is in lamentation, sitting down and crying his heart out to God, asking serious questions of God, and telling us about the depth of his sorrow. Then he comes in chapter 22 of this verse, of this chapter, uh, chapter uh, verse 22 of this chapter, rather. My soul continually remembers it, my affliction and my wanderings. My soul is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What does he call to mind? What is it that gives him hope? What is it that pierces the darkness of his agony at this time? This is it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I know it's easy to say, in pulpits, you know, it doesn't matter what happens in your life. God is steadfast. God is faithful. But that is true. And I have to apply it to my own life, and you have to apply it to yours. When the difficult times come, when the challenges come, when the pains come, when the afflictions come, when all of these things actually sometimes unexpectedly come upon us, what do we turn to? What do we do then in our grief of soul? The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. We remind ourselves that God does not make mistakes. That God is always, as he says here, faithful and steadfast all through. And that we need to come anew to place our trust in him and in his word that tells us so. Now we need to take this back to the beginning of the psalm. Here are the two points, the steadfast love of the Lord toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. The reasons why the Lord's people are to praise him. There are other reasons, but these are the two in the psalm. Now we take that back to, to the first verse. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. And you need to feed that into the call of the gospel, into the evangelistic exercises and endeavors of God's people. Why do you go out with the gospel? Why, do you, why are we concerned to actually bring the gospel to people around us in this town or wherever it is we belong? What is it that we seek to convey to them? What is it we seek to bring to them in seeking to instruct their minds meaningfully? Well, this. The steadfast love of God is great, and the faithfulness of God endures forever. Therefore, come and place your trust in him. You see, these are arguments that the Bible gives us that we feed into our evangelism and say, this is the God we actually serve, and this is the God we commend to you. Not the God of the caricatures you find all too often in public life, but the God who loves and who is faithful to the extent of giving his only begotten Son and raising him from the dead that we might have hope. And so that's our task. Go, he says, and make disciples of all nations. 
On the basis of what? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is Jesus shortly before his ascension. Therefore, therefore because this is who I am, because these are the great truths of God, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. And that's a promise and a fact that's based on God's steadfast love and faithfulness. What is our great concern today? What is your great concern? Surely it is to know God for yourself. To be like those people in John chapter 4 to whom the woman of Samaria, of Samaria uh, spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ that she had come to know as she sat at that well near Sychar. Come and see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Can this not be the Christ? So they went out of the town and they believed in him. Many of them believed in him. And they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you said, but we have heard him for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, isn't that what you're saying? You're not going to base your life merely on what someone else tells you, not even from the pulpit. You're going to come to him for yourself, aren't you? You're going to listen to him for yourself. You're going to embrace him yourself with your own mind and with your own will as God will enable you. And you're going to say, well, now I know. Now I believe. Now I accept him because I've come to know him for myself. And may God bless these thoughts on his word today to us. We're going to sing now to God's praise. Our final psalm today is Psalm 47. And that's on page 62. We're singing to a tune, Warrington. Singing verses 1 to 9. That's the whole of Psalm 47, as you find it there on page 62. All nations, clap your hands and shout. Let joyful cries to God ring out. How awesome is the Lord Most High, great King who rules the earth throughout. Psalm 47, and we'll sing the whole psalm.
you please take your seats for a moment? <coughs> Muriel, I can speak to you directly from here, even though I'm not facing you at the front here. I know you didn't want to make this a big thing, um, but we are uh, pleased to be able to commend you to God as you return shortly to Cambodia. Uh, let me just assure you, if you need any assurance of our love for you, of our prayers for you, that they will follow you, and of our prayers for you as you go back to Cambodia and as you serve the Lord there. And we pray that you may know more and more of his presence each day, of his blessing upon your life, upon his, his blessing upon your work as well for him in Cambodia. And you leave, as I say, with our love and our prayers. And we thank you for your time with us here, for the uh, times you've taken to tell us about your work, both for the congregation as a whole uh, and also for the young folks when you spoke to them a few weeks ago at the Sunday School. We appreciate all of that very much. And please keep sending us your newsletter, even though I have to apologize for the uh, few times that I respond to that by email. But uh, we do take delight in receiving news of your work from time to time as you send us your newsletter. So please do be assured we will continue to remember you in prayer. Now we're going to pray for Muriel and finish the service with prayer, and then that'll include the benediction, uh, and afterwards please allow me to get to the main door to shake hands with you then. Let's stand now for prayer. <clears throat> Almighty God, we give thanks for the gospel. We give thanks for those you call to proclaim the gospel to be workers in the gospel in the name of Christ. We pray now, Lord, for Muriel. We thank you for her months with us here, with her family elsewhere. Uh, we pray that you'd bless her now as she anticipates leaving to go back to Cambodia. We thank you for the strength of her call, for her love for you, and for her desire to serve you there. We pray that she will see much blessing, O Lord, in days to come, we pray that your protective care will be with her in her travels and in all that she does for you uh, when she returns to Cambodia. Be with her, Lord, as we commend her to you once again. We commend her to you and to the word of your grace. And we pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit will be with us now forevermore. Amen.